if you are doing truly uh, 10% revision, I think it's, it means that you are a good surgeon. If you are doing uh, 20% revision, I think it's a little bit too much. If you are doing 2% revision, it means that you have a big problem in your evaluation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rhinoplasty podcast. We are really excited for the month of August to be focused on preservation rhinoplasty and which company could be better suited than Comeg from France who make these fantastic piezo machines that are such an important part of preservation rhinoplasty. So shout out to um, the guys from Comeg. Now, if you guys listen to the end of the podcast, I'm going to give you the details of the person you email and you get a 10% discount on these machines. But I'm not going to give it now, so you just have to listen to the end. Okay, so let's kick it off. Today, we are so honored to have the godfather of preservation rhinoplasty on the show. I, I've been uh, following this incredible human being for many years. It, it's, it's amazing what an inspiration he is to so many people around the world. He, he had a huge influence on me, making sure that I passed my facial plastic board exams, that I've just become passionate around rhinoplasty. And we're very excited to also be being hosted by this man for the Nice European Academy of Facial Plastic Surgery's annual general meeting, at least the Congress in Nice in September. So, um, Prof. Yves Saban, thank you so much for being part of the show tonight. Come, thank you so much. You know, uh, we love you, especially here in France. So we do appreciate your invitation. And for us, really, it's a great pleasure. And for me, being with you is like being in, on holiday. So I, I, I enjoy this time and I, I will try to share with you. Thank you very much also for the kind words you said for me. I do appreciate. Even if, you know, I think that rhinoplasty is making us a little bit humble because it's, every day it's a lesson of humility. So, as I told you before, so today I had to do three rhinoplasties and one autoplasty. And it, uh, everything is, every rhinoplasty, every surgery is always different according to the patient expectations, according to our experience, according to the anatomy. So it's very interesting. And I really am very happy to be here with you and trying to share something about that. Thank you, Cam, for the invitation. I enjoy it. Oh, well, thanks. I'm, I'm looking forward to a really nice evening. Oh, of excuse me, I interrupt you. Yeah, Cam, yes. I, I was, I, because you are talking about the recent past exams, so you passed the certification. And I remember when we met the first time, I told you, you were so-so, not, not knowing exactly what, what to do. And I, you were, at this time, you are much younger than now. And, but even if you are still very young, and I, I, I told you, you should pass these exams because it will be very important in your life and your career. And so go on. And I remember we met in Amsterdam and you told me, oh, it's, you, you pushed me a lot, but you, you did well. So now I am certified and I'm very happy with that. No, thank so, you. Uh, congratulations for your journey. In, in oh, thanks so much. Yeah. So I know on behalf of the listeners, and, and we, we now nearly 70 countries around the world, uh, we've been downloaded more than 15,000 times. So people are hungry to learn about rhinoplasty. But we want to get a little bit more background before we climb into this preservation thing. Tell us a little bit about what makes Yves Saban tick. I mean, you have done so much in your life. What is it that inspires you to do the things that you do? 
Uh, it's, um, it looks an easy question, but in, in fact, it is not that, uh, that much easy. Well, you know, things are um, appearing in, in time in your life, and you are doing some techniques. And uh, while you are doing some techniques, you, are, you learned when you are a resident and starting the specialty, and then you can f see some limits of these techniques, uh, taking, uh, looking back behind you and seeing the mm -hmm. patients. And then you are not very happy with uh, everything that you learned and you don't feel that much comfortable. So we'll say there is probably another way to, to perform the technique. So you are just thinking about that. And uh, so I could, I started with, I learned with, it was in the early 80s and I learned with, I started with, let's say, with Jack Sheen principles. And I was very happy with the result, but I was beginning. So I, I have no idea of what could be the future of my uh, surgery. And I was happy, but as you know, at the same time, I was going in, in, the, in the anatomy lab many times because I was doing at the same time the specialty of ENT and maxillofacial, so I was very busy. And uh, going in the lab, I could, I could check really the anatomy of the nose and trying to understand what is uh, behind or under the, the rhinoplasty techniques. And when you are going to the lab, then you discover that there are, it's more complex than you can imagine because mm -hmm. When, you are, when we are learning, we are learning generally one technique. It's, what I, it's how I started, learning one technique and doing also always the same technique on all my patients. Of course, some patients, in some patients I could get excellent results because it was a very good technique. And in, in other patients, uh, I had not good results and even sometimes pretty bad results. So mm -hmm. the anatomy lab helped me a lot in understanding the anatomy and understanding why in, in certain circumstances the results were not what was expected. And then mm -hmm. I started uh, uh, with that for years. So I tried to understand adapting the technique to the new tricks we could learn in the books because at this time there were much less meetings than what we can have nowadays. And, um, and then I started like this. And about, let's say, a few years after, I started making courses of anatomy, mm -hmm. surgical anatomy in Nice, in the anatomy lab, uh, about two things, about the rhinoplasty on one hand, and on the other hand, the facial, the facial uh, proce uh, aesthetic procedures. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had to work a lot, because at the moment you are starting teaching something, even mm -hmm. if it's surgical anatomy, then you must understand what you are doing, because... You, you need to explain how things mm -hmm. are going. If you mm -hmm. are not clear in your mind, you cannot explain. So mm -hmm. teaching is helping you in better understanding and at the same time probably improving ourselves. Mm -hmm. So that when I started this, I said, okay, I, could, I was satisfied, but not completely. So I started to, to train to practice the, the Kotlas technique. And mm -hmm. uh, it was in the early 90s. And uh, but Kotlas technique looked looked to me like a little bit strange, probably like for many people, maybe everybody. It was like if you want to clean, I said this like this comparison. If it's like if you wanted to clean your ear, then you are using your right hand to clean the left. You, you understand what I mean? Yes. Kotlas technique is something like this. So uh, because uh, when I started to try to understand it. What we wanted to achieve in rhinoplasty was, let's say, removing the hump, 
And what we are doing in Kotos, we're removing everything except the herb. So mm-hmm. it was strange for, for me. So I went in the lab, tried to understand, make, make, follow the technique, and then I found that in some cases it could be very interesting. So I started in this way. I have no personal mentor or teacher teaching me the technique, so I had really to try it in the lab with the, the anatomy book on one hand, the, 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 the textbook on the other hand, and trying to, uh, to, to understand better this. And then slowly, slowly I could uh, improve myself learning that. And then I could see also the limits of the Kotel's technique because we cannot, uh, in, the, at the same, uh, in the same way that we cannot always perform a resection or preservation mm-hmm. or structure or whatever the technique, I, I could see the, the limits of the Kotel's and so I could also have some bad results. So you have to, when you have bad results, then you have to think about that. Why did I have bad results in this case? Uh, you have to, 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 to go back to the technique, to go back to the patient. And then I could, I hear, I heard about the high strip technique. And that was an option. It was in, let's say, 94, 95. And uh, so I started, okay. But again, no special mentor, just go to the lab and trying to understand what is the high strip technique. So I went to the anatomy lab, trying to, trying to perform some high strip procedure. And then I understood that it was very interesting because it was much easier for uh, regarding the septum. And it was also, uh, the results looked more predictable. And then I started this uh, slowly, slowly. But as you know, when you are alone doing a technique, then you, people are looking at you like a, like a ET and saying what well, he's doing strange things. I don't, we don't understand what he's doing. So hopefully my friends were pretty, uh, let's say, polite, just listening to me and saying, who will be the next speaker now to understand something better? Because I was like preaching in the dessert. And it was a very special time for me. And it, it made me also it made me also very humble because you when you are for years and years you are preaching in the desert then you feel really alone but okay you have to to go on and show some perseverance or resistance to this and and once sometimes something can happen in your life it's like a like a star and so and we were with Barish in Budapest it was in twenty in twenty sixteen. And Barish Chakir told me, if you are talking about one technique, but to speak frankly, I don't even understand what you are doing. So could you explain me what I told him? Yeah, with great pleasure. You are the first one who is asking me to explain something about that. So, but I I waited at least 20 years without anybody interested in that. And and so I I showed to Baris to Baris it was big nose the big deviated nose. I told him, look, I will be very quick just to show you that in ten minutes we can make the nose straight and straight on profile and straight in face view from you. And he told me, no, I don't believe. I thought, yeah, you will see. So I I could do this very quickly, not not showing anything, just that it was possible. And Baris told me, okay, ah, okay, it's very strange, but okay. Can you do that now very slowly explaining the really the step by step to that I could understand what you are really doing because it looks very strange to me. So I did again, it was a big nose again, tick nose. So I, I did that very slowly, explaining every step. That's what was very comfortable with Barish. He's a left 
left-hand guy, as a, and I am right-hand. So we could be two surgeons at the same time. So it was very nice. And so I, I, I showed this, this to him. And then after, we, Peter Palazzi with, was uh, with uh, Olivier Jabot were uh, also in the room. It was in Budapest. And, um, and okay, so Barish told me, if, okay, we are not here for making that, but I would like now you to help me trying to, to, I would like to make the procedure to understand how it works in my hands. So I explained to him, and what says, what shown very nicely um, Barish now is that uh, when I showed that to him, he started almost crying in my, in my arms saying, oh, if, you know, I have just published a book and I have must change everything now. So it was, it was, it was very special. And I was also very, I felt like very, a big emotion inside because, yes. okay, I finally, the guy is interested. He is a very kind, kind, clever, smart, and maybe there is a, a way to spread a little bit the idea because when you are alone, you feel alone and you are really yeah. alone. Yeah. So this is, this is the truth. And when you are, when you are two people, okay, things are changing because you can, you can feel some support and, and so and, and things started like this. That's amazing, yes. eh? I'm sorry, I was a little bit long, but it's... Uh... No, no, no. It's fascinating to hear this. I mean, this is a 40-year career and you're there for 20 years and no one's listening to you. Unbelievable. Before we get into the actual topic, a quick question. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit more about the Nice meeting in September. Oh, thank you so much for asking this question. Yes, we are, we are really... Try, working a lot on this meeting. This is the annual meeting of the European Academy. It will be the first face-to-face uh, -face meeting of, since uh, a few years, two years now, uh, except the Budapest, uh, the, um, the, the the one who uh, was done in uh, Istanbul with uh, Goksel and Barish. Mm -hmm. We were uh, there. And uh, so this meeting will be, at the moment, it's um, it's not a rhinoplasty meeting. It is a European Academy official plastic surgery meeting. So I'm just the one who is organizing in Nice the annual meeting of the European Academy. And uh, we, at the moment, we have almost uh, all the um, faculty has confirmed the participation. We have some dots for, the, uh, for, the, for our English friends because there are some, some difficulties with England, between England and France at the moment. But I think, I hope at least that in September, everything will be okay. Uh, otherwise, we have, uh, you know, we have like almost the the top fifty top fifty rhinoplasty surgeons coming here in Nice. It will be mm -hmm. the biggest uh, rhinoplasty with the biggest names, except two or three who could not come and join us. Mm -hmm. But really, uh, it will be uh, for the people and friends who are and colleagues who are like want to improve their their skill and knowledge in rhinoplasty. We have organized. Um, for it will be four days meeting, and in these four days, every, every uh, in the biggest room, we will have uh, uh, for every half an hour we'll have a master class. So for four days, from eight in the morning to seven, we have master classes done by all the the biggest names in rhinoplasty, and I think it it will be a fantastic opportunity really to not only mm. to see and to teach and to discuss with them. But also to get something, and that um, okay, you understand to taking something and going back home with these yeah. uh, messages. But just to to finish with that, we have two other rooms. 
in one room, there will be everything regarding the facelifts and the face, facial procedure. Uh, with the first day, we have the, also very, many big, very big names in in a facial in facelift coming in Nice, and and we have also a session on facial policy, uh, how to treat uh, when once the paralysis is, uh, is is installed, and um, uh, so we will go in this way with facial reconstruction and others, and in the in the in the last day the. the um, in a room where will be com completely dedicated to oculoplastic surgery. So on wow. one room we will have still rhinoplasty going on. On the middle it will be uh, oculoplastic from 8 in the morning till 7 in the evening. And in the third one there will be more uh, cosmetic procedures and aesthetic procedures. So it's, it's really a very big meeting. And uh, we are re really working a lot and of course we are a little bit in trouble with these uh, regulations due to the virus. No, but we're very excited. I, I can't wait to come over there and see everybody and be thank part you, of this. So, so the last question in terms of that, is there a website that people can register on? Yes, thank you so much. Yeah, well, there, it's, uh, the, the name is very easy. It is EAFPS, European Academy, uh, NICE, N-I-C-E, N -I -C -E, 2021. Dot com. It's, it's, it's so EAFPS Nice 2021.com. So you are the ones who are interested are more than welcome. At the moment, we have we are we are at about uh, 300 people, uh, including the faculty, and um, we have many uh, the exposure uh, the partners for uh, surgical instruments and uh, exposition is almost full. So it's it's for us is very important because. Awesome. As you know, it's in, when you are running meetings, you know to uh, support because otherwise, uh, you are you are organizing a very very nice meeting. You have plenty of friends, but it can be a little bit difficult for your uh, for your for yourself. It's, it's sometimes painful in the, in your pocket, so you try to be equal, at least equal, so you're not losing too much money in this meeting. No, definitely. Eh? Okay, so whilst you get. Um, your talk for tonight up. I've got a, one last question for you. What do you do when you're not doing rhinoplasty? What do you do to relax? Well, my, my life, <laughs> difficult question. Hopefully I'm working with my wife and my, and my daughters. So at least I can enjoy this, being this, with them. Uh, I have a small a house in, just in front of the sea. While I'm seeing you on the screen, if I just look at, over the the computer, I, I see the, the the sea with the, some boats on on, on the river, on the on the sea and Capfiora. That is a very nice place. So when I have time in the morning, I'm going swimming with with uh, Sylvie. And uh, otherwise, my, my life is very <laughs> filled with uh, with the the, the, the procedures or organizing meetings or reading other books or whatever, you know. But uh, it's true that sometimes my family is complaining about not, that I'm not uh, if, uh, giving them enough time. So I made to apologize, it's very difficult. But they are yeah, right, of course, they're correct. We, we, we were gonna have you and your family in South Africa last year, but thanks to COVID, that never happened. Thank but you so we much. will Perfect. in the future. Okay, so can I ask you to share your screen? Okay. And, um, Whilst you do that, just a, a reminder is quite a few of the people are not able to necessarily see what uh, you'd be sharing. They can share 
on the podcast. So you can maybe try to grab one or two of those slides for the listeners who are unable to view us through YouTube. So, um, Cap, do you hear me now? Because I have my is my screen okay? It's lovely. Okay, super, super. So, uh, um, please, Cam, don't hesitate to interrupt me. You, you, you will not be unpolite. It will be more than welcome. If you want me to, or to be quicker, or to explain something better, because sometimes we don't know what is interesting for our friends. So, I would like really to share with our friends and with you. So, you are the one who is really able to interrupt saying, hey, okay, if you say that, but I didn't get exactly, or could you give me some more details? Or on the opposite, you can say, tell me, okay, if you told that so many times that everybody okay. knows that, please go quicker. So don't okay. hesitate. <laughs> okay, thank you. So this is the logo, the, this face, this was a painting that was done by a good friend of mine and for, for the, the book I have done a few years ago. And so I'm very pleased to use this like a logo with a face and it was an aquarelle. Um, as you know, I, I'm working in Nice. So I have many certifications in facial plastic, maxillofacial, ENT and anatomy. And I am currently the chairman of the European Academy of Facial Plastic Surgery, Rhinoplasty Focus Group. And I was president of the, past president of the International Rhinoplasty Research Society. Uh, this society is, is very imp important in my heart because it was uh, where I could meet many of our friends, and I will show you the photo. And it, it was one of my important starting points in, uh, in my uh, rhinoplasty career. And I have some disclosures because, as you know, we must share that uh, for the, some books and from Ibsen because I am consultant for Ibsen. So thank you again uh, for your invitation to share this uh, uh, meeting in Nice, it will be for, from 15 to 18th uh, September in Nice. And at the moment, we have very nice weather. And I do hope that we, you will be able to see, if you see this, this on the screen, that we will be here uh, on the, 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 the meeting room is here. So it's very close to uh, the airport and very convenient for everybody. And this is the, the website. So rhinoplasty is a family group, I say, and we are not working alone. When you are working a lot, you are alone. It's a very sad time, and uh, even if you love what you are doing. So it's very important to, to belong to a group. And so I, I have different groups where I'm involved in, of course, the European Academy. This is what I can call my some connection I have with uh, in Turkey with Goxel, with uh, Fazil Paidin and also with many others that are very good friends of mine and really that uh, whom I, I love a lot. And this is the IRS group. It is a very small group, 10 people sharing their experience because as you know, to share and to think all together, it cannot be hundreds of people. So this is a very small group of people who are sharing some ideas. And like French, you can, you can recognize Olivier and me. And um, so, and this is the, the most important starting point of the preservation rhinoplasty with, uh, uh, you know, everybody, Roland Daniel, Peter Palazzi, Darius Chakir and myself. And uh, I think it was um, a very good team because we all, all of us, we are very different. And mm -hmm. it's, this difference is making the success of, the, of, of something. If everybody is the same, 
you cannot improve because you are in, in French we say we are turning uh, uh, in around. I mean, you have to, it's always the same things. So this is rhinoplasty. Maybe some. This was my medical thesis on lateral osteotomies in rhinoplasty and the fracture. It was in 1984, so as you can see, it was uh, 37 years ago. And in the in the meanwhile, I, I, I wrote with some friends this uh, in 22, in uh, 2002, the, the book on, on rhinoplasty. And we have had the the, the chance of having Tony Bull, uh, Gibrayash. Uh, and um, many very big names, Pitongi and others, but participating, uh, Gintardi, and so I will not cite every, make citation of every, all of them. But thanks to them, we could make a very nice book in 2002. And this is the last book on Rhinopathy that now uh, all, all, everybody knows. And these are some books because I told you that I'm going many, many times in the anatomy lab that was like my second house for a while. So I published this anatomy book in 1994, and Gintadi made the, the, the preface. Then in uh, about 15 years after, I published this book on central face anatomy, and this one on facial uh, anatomy for cosmetic procedures. And I think there are three very different So books. can I ask a question here? Sure. Your first publication that was in 94, how much yeah. has your understanding of anatomy changed in these 25 years or 27 years? Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. Uh, at the beginning, when I really, I, I started with this book, I, I told you I was uh, already organizing uh, courses on surgical anatomy of the, for rhinoplasty and for facial procedures, facelifts and others. And um, at the beginning, when I, before I, we published this book, uh, anatomy books were true ones. I mean, I mean, with dissection, not with only drawings or uh, something that you can find from copied from uh, hundreds of years so for centuries in the books. I, 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 okay, I don't say that it, uh, it's useless. I think that drawings are very important to explain something, but the anatomy you cannot understand if you are not retouching the things and. Uh, mm -hmm. The, if you are not going to the lab, then you cannot understand. And what I could see in, during these years is that the, we could understand better uh, the, not only the basic anatomy, but we could see the variations, inter-individual variations. And that is a very important for the facial procedures because, if, for example, if you are interested in, in uh, mimic muscles, if you are interested in uh, nasal muscles, if you are interested in ligaments, if you are interested in compartments, then you can see that depending on the on each one, the, uh, each of us we have a different anatomy. Mm. We do not look at the same way. We do not smile in the same way because we do not mm. have the same muscle. It does not mm. mean that some some people are sad and some some someone are very happy. But we our mimicry is really depending on our muscles and also mm. the fat compartment that is and the, all the facial compartment that are really. Uh, creating the, the true anatomy of, uh, of the patient. And this is what really um, uh, changed these uh, 25 last years because we could rediscover that, including the facial ligaments, as you know, discovered and, and precised by Stutzin uh, and, uh, and some, some others uh, uh, anatomists uh, years ago. And my two most important books on anatomy were with um, 
on uh, orbital anatomy, it was uh, I learned a lot from gels and um, oh, I'm sorry. And uh, there were two uh, two big authors, big names of, uh, of oculoplastic surgery, and also from uh, Gintadi anatomy book on the nose. Well, I, I learned a lot, so I, I, I could understand that the real dissection is the key, and you cannot be only teaching with through drawings because it's mm. really not the true anatomy. Mm. So, Cam, um, is it okay? Perfect. Keep it up. It's great. So the nose. This is one cross section I have done. All the anatomy I will show is I have done them. So this is a cross section I have done on the head. Now it will. It's more difficult to do that because of some regulations in France for the anatomy. But I could do this hopefully. So it, it, we can see very nicely the nose, the heart palate, the soft palate, the inferior turbinate, the middle turbinate, the etmoid, etmoid sinus, the frontal sinus. Uh, the sphenoid, the the cella, and the and the brain. So it's interesting because when we see that, we can see the relationships between the uh, external nose and what is inside, uh, including the turbinates. That is the function of the nose. And now we you know that we are a lot of friends are talking about the skull base because they are afraid of manipulations with the septum. So uh, when, when we are working on the nose, we are working on the aesthetics, but also it, it, it has some uh, connections to breathing and olfaction. And we should always uh, evaluate our patients regarding these three functions of the nose, olfaction, breathing, and aesthetics. So as an introduction, I, I, I repeat that, I'm sorry, but I think that it's important that all our friends understand that there are different philosophies in neuropathy. If we are starting saying, talking about resection, okay, we see a patient, we say, okay, I, should, I have to resect this kind, this, this height of hand to, to get the good result. So this is, I, I started this way. And then with, when we are thinking structure, generally we are thinking, how to build the nose I would like it to be. So we are always starting thinking out about drafts and uh, modifying the nose in the way we would like it to be. While in pre the preservation, the philosophy is how to modify the nose according to its natural anatomy and improving this anatomy to make it more natural, not natural, but nicer and more uh, convenient for the patient for his life or her life. So the concept of preservation was to preserve as far as possible what we can preserve. I mean, soft tissues, key area, nasal valve, and also the well lateral cartilage. And uh, to, just to say uh, that how much I was involved in the anatomy, I published, as you may know, in 2008, the superficial musculoponeurotic system, and uh, an anatomical study of that, uh, with the applications in rhinopathy. And it was, I think, the true basic Study, study talking about the ligaments of the nose, showing, mm -hmm. talking about the pitamgi that was not really a democartilaginous ligament like it was said before, but it was a mass extension. And I think it was a good starting point for uh, the new anatomy of the nose. And I also published something about the, the vascularization of the nose and its implications in, in, in facial plastic in cosmetics. Uh, for example, it's, it has a huge implications nowadays in complications of fillers injections in the mm. nose and I think it is important. So you can see how much the anatomy is uh, linked with the, with the procedures, surgical procedures or aesthetic procedures. 
So, uh, but the, our problem nowadays when we are performing rhinoplasty is this one. There are different types of noses, uh, and you know that uh, Asian noses are not the same, that the Caucasian noses, that traumatic noses are different from uh, tension noses. So we have to adapt the techniques to the, to the noses. So we have a toolbox and we have to choose the appropriate instruments to uh, modify the nose uh, the patient uh, is showing. And uh, after that, as you, as you may know, it's not only a problem of anatomy. It it's also depends on the patient expectations. Patient expectations are the key. If your patient is unhappy, even if you have, if you have done a fantastic nose, a fantastic job, you, you will have trouble, troubles with this patient. And so we have to take care of these expectations. Uh, surgical procedures, I, have, I talked about that, and we are a little bit lost nowadays in the different surgical procedures. And what are we doing in our practice is what we learned during our resident fellowship mm -hmm. and so we are just doing what we learned before. And uh, your history is not only just repeating what you have learned, but asking to yourself, how can I improve my technique? How can I improve what I'm doing? And so the, the problem is that if you are just following what you have learned, you are always doing the same things mm -hmm. and you are not improving yourself. And so the, all this is nowadays creating a lot of confusion because when we are going in meetings, you yeah. uh, sometimes you go out of the meeting after at the end and finally you say to yourself, okay, what did I learn during this meeting that is interesting that I can apply in my practice in foreign diplomacy? And sometimes you have a headache and you don't know really what you are doing because you learned a lot of tricks. Interesting to learn tricks, but you didn't learn the, the, the what is useful in, in depth for your practice. Yes. So, what is preservation rhinopathy? Because, uh, can you ask me to talk about that and to speak frankly? I enjoy that, as you can see, because I, I know I'm very long, because you told me that I have a little bit of time, so I'll, I like it very much, because it's Great. really sharing the experience in this way. Thank you very much. But you can stop me, eh? don't, don't hesitate again. No, 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 so. carry on, it's great. So what is preservation rhinopathy? Preservation rhinopathy, I said it is a philosophy of rhinopathy, but it is mainly dedicated to primary rhinopathy. It's very difficult so many times to perform preservation in revision rhinopathy because mm -hmm. things has been, have been already changed. So it's what preservation means we have to preserve something. And uh, so we can just perform that if there is something to preserve. So generally for primary rhinopathy, generates reduction rhinopathy because it's very difficult to, at, at the moment, even if I, we try in different ways to apply the preservation principles to augmentation rhinopathy, that is not as easy as it would look uh, from, from far. And then we have to preserve the, I told you, the anatomy of the nose. Then, so it's mainly applied to, it depends on the patient selection, and in my practice, I have mainly Indo-European Indo patients and very few Asian, very few uh, patients from Africa. So uh, my uh, experience, personal experience, is limited to this uh, kind of noses and this kind of patients. Very quickly, the history, which is not a new one. The high sepsal strip is from Goodale, end of 19th century. And septal articulation was from mid-20th uh, century. This is key area preservation. 
Mm-hmm. And then many uh, uh, colleagues add their names to do these different techniques, Mo- mostly in the, uh, till recently, in the Kotel's technique uh, adaptation. And, mo- and now many are talking about the high strip. And so we will talk today, if we have time, about the respective indications. And things changing, things, things, things changed. Uh, well, after this, uh, this paper I published uh, in Aesthetic Surgery Journal, uh, a few, a few, a few years ago, uh, in uh, 2000, and uh, it was end of 17, beginning of 18, uh, because I, I was talking with Roland Daniel, and Roland told me, "If you should write something on, about that, because really it, it looks very interesting now, and we have done, uh, we know what we can do with the with the structural endoplasty, but we don't know what you are doing with yourself." And I think what you are showing is interesting. So I published this paper. Regard about 540 rhinoplasties, primary rhinoplasties in six years, and with about 60% cases of dorsum preservation. Now I'm performing a little bit more nowadays. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, and I wasn't mainly interested in the revision rate because for me, the revision rate is the only true objective criteria of the quality of the surgery. If you are, if you are doing truly uh, 10% revision, I think it's, it means that you are a good surgeon. If you are doing uh, 20% revision, I think it's a little bit too much. If you are doing 2% revision, it means that you have a big problem in your evaluation because it's almost impossible in rhinopathy to have two person, only 2% revisions in, in the surgery. This is what I feel in my practice. So, and these were, these were, were the main uh, motivations for revisions, hand recurrence, axis deviation, a little bit widening of the middle third. So I, we tried after to improve these uh, uh, complications, issues after preservation. I have, and I have almost, almost no revisions for breathing impairment after the surgery. So this was a good starting point. But I would like to say to our colleagues who are listening today, this, uh, this, pre- this presentation is that before starting performing preservation on passive, first we have to understand the philosophy. If you, are not, if you do not understand the philosophy, if you are starting trying to, pre- to make a preservation on passive with the structure philosophy, of course it, it will look impossible to you. Then you have to check your anatomy, anatomy knowledge. This is critical. Anatomic knowledge, you cannot perform good surgery if you don't know this in a good way. Then you have to understand the nasal, the biomechanic of the nose. The biomechanic is the key because if you do not want to remove the t- tissues, but to ch- make changes in their uh, relationships, in their shape, in, the, in moving the the shape of the of the of the bones and the cartilages and the ligaments, you need to understand how it can work. And this is a big change between the classic rhinoplasty procedures and the preservation. That's why I'm talking a lot of, about biomechanical anatomy. And then, of course, you have to learn the principles and choose the appropriate patient. So, I would like to say that if you are a beginner in rhinoplasty, of course you have to learn first septoplasties and turbinoplasties in order to avoid breathing issues once performing the surgery. But please go to the anatomy lab, attend anatomic dissection courses, because this is critical in your practice. If you are not mm-hmm. going in the lab, 
Or you will mm. make experimentations on your patient and ethically, this looks a little bit uh, not fair. Or yeah. you have to, uh, then go, please go to the lab and check the techniques. Then you have to assist, of course, uh, experienced surgeon, learn step by step and go back again to the anatomy lab. I can tell you that every year I'm going to the anatomy lab because I need to understand some steps. I need to understand what is happening. I need to understand how it works with the ligaments, how it works with the, some variations of the key area, the, the relationship between the cartilage and the bones. And so we have to understand that because otherwise we will have some bad issues sometimes and we do not understand why we have these issues. So please go to the anatomy lab. This is the key of the success in rhinoplasty in general, not only preservation, but in rhinoplasty. Mm. So this was for the beginners, but if you are already an experienced uh, or even an expert in rhinoplasty surgery, please, if you want to perform a preservation rhinoplasty technique, do, I, I would like to say, do not commit the sin of pride. I, I, I did that because I said after my first article, I said, okay, oh, I have been I'm very brave now. I have done hundreds of preservations, so I can do whatever I want, and it will work very well. It is not true. It is not true. You have to be very humble in rhinoplasty. I say that rhinoplasty is uh, every day a lesson of humility. You, you can have 10 fantastic results, and suddenly the, the next one will be some very bad experience, and you do not understand why. Why? And this is interesting. So, but so, if you are experienced, please just think about that. Do not commit the sin of pride. Stay humble. Read the books. We have read. We have written the book just for avoiding big issues with that bad issues. And again, for even for the experience, go to the anatomy lab and check how you can apply your knowledge to the techniques. Then learn how to choose the appropriate patients. I will try to help you in this, uh, for in this step, and of course perform each step incrementally. Go step by step. Don't try to to switch one step to go directly to uh, the next one because you will have bad issues if you are doing that. And of course you need to perform some uh, understand how you are when you are once you are making the osteotomies. You are really handling the nose in your hand, and it it gives at the very beginning a very special um, and uh, let's say like abnormal feeling of moving the nose like uh, if you were moving something like uh, uh, an apple in your hand. I mean, it's very, very special being able to move the nose in this way. So in rhinoplasty, come, is it, uh, do you want me to go on or do you have questions? Carry on. Or? No, no, this is, this is, this is great. Okay. So one of the questions that was asked to me many times and it was asked when I was, for the first time, invited to the American Academy of Facial Plastic Surgery. The first, the first question people ask me is this one. Is it, how, how, how is it possible to make the nose smaller without resecting nothing on the dorsum? It looks mm. no more than strange. It, it looks like almost impossible. It, so I, and I had the discussion with, with very famous surgeons. And I, at the end of the discussion, I told them, quick, if you say I'm a, I, I am a liar, that what I'm saying is not possible, please come on the operating room. I will show you how it works. Yes. But be, yes. Now carry on. Yeah, I want to hear this. <laughs> okay, sorry. Okay. So it was, it looked so strange that people could not understand, even experts in rhinoplasty. So I, I, I like showing this. The, 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 I, you know, I can show only 
the photos of patients who agreed to sh share their, their sure. photos. So that's why sometimes we are showing the same photo, same photo because it's very difficult to 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 change for every uh, presentation all the photos. It's almost impossible. So this is a patient. She has very. Uh, I will um, come if you allow me. I would like to introduce uh, some other concepts, not only preservation, but how to evaluate the nose in the face. Yes, please. Yeah. So look at this lady. Very nice eyes, nice mouth. But what is uh, you know that in communication, in our usual in current life, uh, how, our behavior, we are just looking at how people are looking at you and how people are smiling at to you. And there, we are not communicating with our nose. We are communicating with our look and with our smile. And we can consider that the, let's say, previously we said the fixed nose, let's say the bony cartilaginous pyramid, that nasal bones and polar cartilages and septum are directly related to the look, to the eyes. So we can say that this is the uh, the looking uh, or the nose of the look and there is also the nose of the smile that is the tip of the nose and the nostrils the, if if you follow the nasolabial fold you can see that the nasolabial fold are making like a, a round shape mm. around all around the the, the the lips but also around the the nostrils and the and the and the, and the tip of the nose nostrils and tip so we can consider that in a way we have not one nose, but we have two, two noses in communication. We have the nose of the look and the nose of the smile. And when a, a, we do, should not see the nose when we are looking at the patient. So coming back to this patient, if we look at her face, what we, we can see her, her look and her smile, but something is not going well, well here. So the, something is wrong in the middle. And because the nose is not nice. So we see the nose as the third target of our look, how we're seeing her. But once you have making the changes of the, of the nose, then you forget the nose. And what do you see? Mm. You see just how she looks at you and how, how she smiles at you. So the nose, you forget the nose. And this is what we can call a successful rhinoplasty. A successful rhinoplasty is the, the rhinoplasty when you forget the nose. And you just wow. see a nice look and a nice smile, and your, the nose is forgotten. And for me, this is my main criterion for the successful rhinoplasty. Do you agree with that, Cam? Yes, but I've, I've never had it explained like that to me before. And it just makes so much sense that they are, we've got two noses. That I'm going to look at people very differently from now on. <laughs> you will see. And if you if you have the opportunity to come in this, if you are lucky, I will explain that more. That how we can uh, use this expression of the face, I mean the look and the smile, in the evaluation of the the rhinoplasty procedure. So let's go on. And uh, so this is this lady in profile view. She had a let's say deep radix and uh, witch nose because it's like a witch nose with long nostrils, the nose is going downward. And uh, what I performed is really a, a preservation rhinoplasty. And surprisingly, the radix looks higher, but the, the radix is not higher. What changed is just the, the dorsum and mm. the size of the nostrils. And then she wanted a, a pretty uh, 
high tip, overprojected tip, so it's what I perform. And look on the, on the oblique view, we completely forget the nose. We, we see a very nice look, including mm. the, the nose of the look, and we see a very nice, and uh, let's say, sensual lips, uh, uh, including the, 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 the nostrils and the tip. And mm -hmm. this is critical. When you, you forget the nose, it means that the urinoplasty is very successful. And if you look before the surgery, the nose is visible. If you see the nose, it means that there is something wrong in, on the nose. But if you look carefully, you can see that the, the makeup is exactly the same before and after. What is changing is only the nose. Nothing on, nothing on the lip, nothing on the look of the eyelids, nothing on the makeup, just the nose. And we, so in the post-op, we forget the nose. And this is, in my opinion, the best criterion. Let's look at now at this lady again. This is the pre and post-op. And let's, you, can, you will see that the makeup is exactly the same before and after, except the skin, the skin this was in summer, this was in winter. So the, 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 the skin is mm -hmm. tan before mm -hmm. and pretty white after. But anyway, so what changed after the surgery? The look looks a little bit more, more, more kind, but, it, but she has big eyes, so it, it didn't change a lot. But we can see better her lips and her smile. And this is very good, even if the nose is nice. So in profile view, we, we, I could erase the hand by making the preservation rhinoplasty. I did not change the radix, but I could re-lower the dorsum and change a little bit the orientation of the tip, just making it a little bit up in order to, to get these, these lines uh, in the, again, the, the nose of the, of the smile. And if you look carefully at the nose of the smile, come, if you look, look at that very carefully. I, I like to say that I don't like measuring the angles on the face because I'm not able to measure angles in the face when I'm performing in rhinoplasty. Mm -hmm. But what I can see, what I can see is that I see the, I can see the upper lip when I'm performing the rhinoplasty mm -hmm. and I can see the, the, the edge of the nostril and of, and the, of the columella. And on profile view, the, these lines, the upper lip, the columella, and the edge of the nostril should be, the three lines should be parallel, mostly mm. parallel. At the moment, the nose, the, the, let's say the columella, the columella uh, line is uh, uh, crossing the, the upper lip line, then the nose looks long. It is an optical illusion, but it gives this sensation because, again, the tip and the nostrils are belonging to the, to the mouth. It's uh, the mm -hmm. nose of the, of the smile. So in the post-op, I just look at that. I just change the position of the tip. And now, look at the, at the, at the direction of the lines. The columella line is parallel to the upper lip. So the nose does not look like going to the tip. It's not touching the lip. It's really mm. parallel to it. And for me, it's critical to understand that the, these lines are parallel. It's, it's very easy in your practice, even during the surgery, just to see that. I, do, I never measure the angle. It can be 90 degrees. It can be more. It can be less. I want mm. my nose being parallel to the upper lip. Mm. Mm. So this is the three-quarter. Again, we completely forget the nose after the post-op. It is very natural. The, we see a little bit better the, the, the lips and the smile, and we see much more the, 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 the eyes. And I remember Jean Tardy talking about, look at her eyes when he was showing his presentation. And I do agree with uh, Jean Tardy was saying at this time. 
And this, on the third pattern of black view, the nose is hiding the, the eye. It should not hide the, the eye. It should just be like this and we forget the nose again. And this is a very natural. And right in, in preservation, we can really give this kind of result because we, you, you have no um, surgical look in this area because everything is really natural. And of course, we can change the shape of the tip. In this case, I made sutures in order to make, because she had a square nose, I wanted it to be triangular just, just by suturing it. Before surgery, I told her, probably I will have to change your nostrils. But once I did that, the nostrils, I didn't do any procedure here because they look pretty well, pretty good. So no need to perform any nostril procedure or ally resection or whatever. So, um, Cam, I'm sorry, I bothered you with uh, this kind of concepts of no, uh, no, the nose of the look and the nose of the smile, but I think it is uh, it's very important in our practice. It's not, it's not of course, it's, we are a little bit far from preservation, but I think it's very important in our practice. No, then you've got to get these foundations right. So an interesting thing you said there was that you don't really want to take too many measurements um, and angles in your surgery. And to me, it's always, there's a difficult balance to get right where, where I remember Lissandra said on the podcast a few months ago, how there are many roads that lead to Rome uh, or many yeah. roads that lead to Nice. But some guys are pedantic about measuring the everything the whole time. And then on the other side, it's people who are almost like yeah. they have this artistic part to them that they know what looks good on that person's face. But yeah, to exactly. get the balance right between the two is not, not easy. Yeah, because it's, uh, you know, Michelangelo, Michelangelo said uh, the, the, uh, the compass and the rule are in the eyes. So it's, it's true. It means uh, you are using your eyes and your eyes are just give you the feeling of what is correct or not correct. Mm. And, uh, yeah. okay, we can, but the thing is with, uh, you know, when you want to write a paper nowadays, you, you need to make measurements, angles, distances, millimeters, and, uh, okay, we can do that. I think it's important, but uh, that it's, not, it's not the only criteria of quality or beauty. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. Carry on, eh? Question yes. two, how does it work? Yes, so now going with the biomechanical anatomy. Biomechanic, I, I said just before that, the biomechanical anatomy is very important. So we need to understand what is happening in the nose, when we do not reject, we just change the the, 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 the the aspect. So I would like to go back to the anatomy. And so these are the sections I did 20 years ago, but I like them very much. So this is the profile view and front view on two different specimens. So uh, there are some areas that are critical. There is the lateral wall and, there are, and the dorsum. On the dorsum, the key area, you know this very well, I will not be too long with that, but there is area is the characterization is the overlap between the nasal bones, the, 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 the septum, the quadrangular cartilage, and the upper lateral cartilage. So this corresponds to the uh, key area that is uh, one of the critical area for the aesthetics of the nose. And this is the scroll area. It was very interesting when I, when I described that more than 20 years ago. Uh, interesting to see that the scroll is really the way how you, you can pull the, the, the nose downward or, or upward or push. If we, we didn't have this kind of scroll in this area, we could not change really the shape, uh, elongate or uh, 
make the nose shorter because this really works like a spring effect. Spring. This is like a spring. So a scroll area. So looking now laterally, uh, there are four very important structures that are the Webster triangle, where we can say that the Webster is pretty down. It's very close to the end to the. Uh, uh, the, the end of the accessory cartilages laterally. The, a little bit up, we will find the piriform ligament that is attaching, in a way, the, the, uh, the lower lateral cartilage to the piriform aperture. A little bit up to the piriform ligament, we will find the lateral key area that is a little bit uh, at the upper part of this, because <laughs> this is not perfect, it should be a bit higher that is critical in the preservation of myeloplasty procedures. And we please do not forget the attachments of the medial cantal ligament on the frontal process of the maxilla in this part of the nose. Because, okay, if we do not want to change the radix, then we do not touch the medial cantal ligament. But at the moment we want to move the radix downward or upward, these attachments are very strong attachments like a tendon and you have to undermine this tendon if you want to move the radix to get a, a nice uh, result. And in, in front view, look at the anatomy of the, uh, of, the, of the dorsum. It is a fusiform shaped dorsum. It is not parallel. The parallelism of the dorsum lines is, is directly related to the soft tissues because soft tissues are thick at the radix area and are thick at the, river, at the level of the lower lateral cartilages, but are very thin on the key area. So it, it, the, these soft tissues are transforming a fusiform shape of the bony cartilage structure in parallel lines that we can call, we call nowadays the dorsum aesthetic lines or sheen lines. So it's important to understand that. This, so if at the end of the surgery, I can see many colleagues saying, okay, now, in, during my surgery, in open approach, I have parallel lines, the, the, door, the nasal bones are parallel to my upper lateral cartilages, and so on. It's wrong, because you will have issues with the shape of the nose, because it should not be parallel, it should be fusiform, and the soft tissues, if you do not change the soft tissues, will cover that and creating the dorsum lines. So this is a fusiform shape of the, of the dorsum. It's not, and so, and you know, I will be a little bit quicker now because you know that very well. This is, I, I, I published that uh, 15 years ago in, in the Black Book of Anatomy. Look at the, how much, how high the, the septum is going under the radix, the septum is mm -hmm. arriving here, and how high the upper lateral cartilages are going under, deep to the, uh, to, to the nasal bones. And this creates the overlap that is the definition of the key area dorsal carrier and lateral carrier. So this is just the dissection I did 15 years ago to show that. So how to, uh, how can you, we act on this area? We have two options. Mm -hmm. Or we perform the high septal strip, or we perform the low septal strip. There are, and then from these two basic techniques, there are many variations. So let's start with the high strip. High strip is, is very easy to understand. You, you, you have a hand or uh, you have a dorsum and you want to lower it or you want to make it straight. So you, you create a space just under, just mm -hmm. underneath the, this, this dorsum. And so you will be able to drop or to push the dorsum in this space you have created. 
And depending on the height of the septum, that is on the midline, that is the pillar of the dorsum, depending on the height of the septum, you will, you will be able to lower or incrementally the, the, the dorsum and the key area downward. So if you are not uh, performing an excessive reduction of the septum immediately during your surgery, then incrementally you will be able to lower the dorsum till you are arriving to the precise level you want to be. And then you fixate the dorsum in, the, in this place, and then you can achieve the profile you like. So it makes the uh, preservation ranoplasty with a high sup a very predictable technique. Even if mm -hmm. we can have some uh, problems sometimes, the good thing is, is that it is very predictable. And we, 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 today we will not have time to talk about the problems of the radix, and how, but anyway. If you are performing the appropriate technique, you will not have any problem. And it works like this. So you press and it goes downward. Beautiful. So, Cam, is it okay? Can I, yes. I go on? Yes. Yeah. Please continue. So, so this is the principles of the high strip. You are creating the space just below the bony cartilaginous bone, under the nasal bones and under the upper lateral cartilages. You are acting on the nasal septum, creating the space here. And then when, when you will have performed the osteotomy, you need to cut the bones. Otherwise, of course, you will not be able to push to change the shape of the bones. And then you will be able to lower the dorsum. This, was, uh, this is the principles of that. So we have a triangle. I, I explained that to my patients. As we are in France, I told them, okay, let's consider this is the, uh, the, the FL's tower. You want to have a smaller FL's tower. What do you do? You have two options. Of, or, or you cut the roof uh, or the tip of the tower and then you will have, not, you have no more a tower, you will have uh, something flat on the dorsum and you will have to rebuild a triangular shape of the tower. Or you, will, or you, can, you want to make the tower, the tower a little bit smaller, so you just cut the feet and then you can lower the tower and, and the shape of the tower is exactly the same before and after. You just make it lower, keeping the same shape. But intraoperatively, if you want to make this tower smaller, then you remove a little bit more of the septum in the midline, and so you will be able to lower more. So to resecting more septum gives you the opportunity to lower intraoperatively more, uh, to lower more of the dorsum. So, so this is the triangle of the nose. If you push down the nose, then you will have the triangle is going inside the nose here. So the, the blue is the facial plane. Of course, sometimes we can remove this excess of, of, uh, of bones laterally that is called the let down technique. Or if you have to lower less than a few millimeters, then you can just press, it push down and the bones will, there will be a lateral overlap that is also helping in the stabilization. And so this is the principle. So you lower, but at the same time you are lowering the, the, the dorsum, then you can see that this triangle, the base of this triangle is smaller than the base of the previous triangle because it is, this is the basic geomet geometric shape. So at the same time that you are making the nose uh, smaller, you are making the nose more narrow. Uh, and this is normal because it is the anatomy of this one. So regarding what is happening uh, upward now, I, I call the coat hunger effect. So this is the coat hunger, so you can hang your, your coat on that. Why is it stable? Because you have this strut that is keeping 
the shape of the of the of the code hover in good place. If you want to change the the shape of, of of this area, then you have you need to remove that. Otherwise, you will not be able to flatten that. And this is what we are performing when we are resetting the high septum in this area. Then you are removing this part that is blocking the completely the the movement downward, and that is blocking the flattening effect. And then once you have cleaning, when you have cleaned the, what is below the, the dorsal, uh, uh, the dorsum, bony cartilaginous wall, then you will be able to flatten it or even to curve it in the, uh, more if you want to, to do that. So just remove what is blocking and then you will be, if you remove the strut, then you will flatten, be able to flatten the dorsum. When we look in the anatomy, because I said, as you know, anatomy is the key of the understanding. So this is, the, uh, I removed the soft tissues, and I, so I made the complete osteotomies, lateral, transverse, and radix osteotomies. I have removed part of the septum inside, and then I, 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 am I able to, to press, and what is happening? So I'm pressing on, on that, and we can see that the dotted line is really arriving at the level of my cut. So I, I have, in this case, I lowered about, about 8 millimeters, so it gives this kind of shape of the dorsal. So we can really lower that. And what is happening at the internal nasal valve when we are doing that? So this is the upper lateral cartilage. This is the septum. You remove a part of the septum here, that is the high strip. So you, and then you press. What is happening? So you are pressing here. This is the cut. And the, nasal, the internal nasal valve is opening because the angle will change. So you are opening the internal nasal valve when you are down, uh, pushing down the body cartilaginous wall. Okay, so, so I want to ask two questions, questions there. I understand that you actually answered the first question about the nasal valve opening more as you push down. The other question that I have, though, is the nose looks so unstable because yes. you've, now, you've now cut through the bones laterally and you're pushing yes. the nose down. Yes. What keeps it in place? Is it only where you are re-approximating the septum where you've taken that septal strip away? But are you, or are you also trying to do something to keep the bones in place on the lateral aspects or not? Thank you very much, uh, Cam. Yes, this is one of the critical questions of the stability of, the, of, this, of this technique. The stability is one of the key of the success. So we want to, once we have made the, the movement downward, we want to, the nose keep keeping the same place. So we, we have three areas where we can fixate the position. Laterally, if you have done a push down, I mean, just by lowering this downward, then you will have an overlap. So there will be friction. You will have a bone-on-bone area that is a little bit blocking this area on the side. This is why in small hump, less than six millimeters lowering, I prefer the push down than the let down because the let down, you, you have no stability laterally. So I prefer this. So, so the overlap is giving a lateral stability. The second is on the midline. I said that we need to, to really to, um, to lower the, the, the upper lateral vault to on the, on the stable, on the septum. The, to do that, we need to, to suture it. And the suture is one of the key also. We, you can do, or you can do this uh, directly from inside, or you can do that uh, uh, through, um, if you are performing an open, then it's better because you can fixate not only the cartilaginous vault, but also the bony vault. 
to the septum. So we have this, these points of fixation are on the septum, better to have two points of stability here using sutures, and you have laterally, it's very difficult to use uh, uh, things to stabilize laterally. Of course, we can mm -hmm. insert some fragments of bones in the fracture line laterally to make it more stable in the same way that we could do that when we are performing some works at home. But uh, generally, we don't need that. But it, we, it's possible to use some fragments of bones or cartilage to fixate laterally also that. Uh, is, is it, is it uh, understandable, Cam? Uh, yes, thank you. Yes. Okay, thank you very, very much. So, the, so this was the high strip. The second uh, technique is the cotal technique, and there are a lot of technique variations coming from this one. But what is interesting is this is this one. Look at this. You have the, so uh, this is the, let's say a tension nose. How to make it flatten? Then you or you reject, as I said previously, the, the coat hunger effect. So you reject the septum below this, and then you are able to lower by pressure, or you can just divide completely the cartilaginous septum from the bony septum, and then you are able to open this angle. I, I like calling this action the distraction. It is a, a true distraction of the, cut, the cartilaginous, uh, the quadrilateral cartilage from the bony uh, septum. So it is a distraction. So you are creating an angle inside, and once previously it was Close. It was the, this is natural septum, bony cartilaginous junction, and then you, when you are separating, you are creating this angle at the, at the level of the opening in this area. So then there are variations. So uh, Cotals is doing that. It, it, let's say variation can be whatever the name we give that. We can be uh, SPQR. We can give different names. Whatever the name we give, it, the spirit is the same. You need to separate the, the septum vertically in order to being able to turn, to pull this anterior. You want to make a distraction to open this area. So by opening that, you, are, you will lower the, the, the vote and make it straight because as you are pulling the septum anteriorly, the, 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 the vasa segment and the upper part of the segment will go up. And then you are lowering this part, but you are making this part going up. Mm -hmm. So at the same time, you are reducing the, the height of the hump, but you are also feeling in a way, and this is very interesting in some kind of noses, you are feeling the supratip area, and you are also opening the nasolabial angle because the septum is going in the nasolabial in front of the nasal spine. So mm -hmm. it is very interesting in, in, in uh, deep, nasolabial angles and like subtle deformities uh, because it's really it's a very powerful technique in this case but the the weak the weak point of the cotos technique is that you have only very few points of fixation uh, mainly at the level of the anterior nasal spine in this area so we have mainly one point of fixation carlos neves improved that uh, performing his tetris technique but i think he will talk probably with you but because as he keeps the lower part of the septum safe and stable, then he makes multiple points of fixation, making the cotals technique much more powerful and stable. So the second part that is interesting is the predictability. So this was a lady, she, she's coming from Sweden, uh, asking for uh, preservation. She told me, my nose is not that bad, but I want to improve that. 
and could make, could you make it better with just your technique and also offer, okay, let's try to make a computer simulation. This is the computer simulation of her. So this is at the beginning of the surgery. So this is the same lady with little bit starting point also of Chinese heart laterally. And once uh, intraoperatively at the end of the surgery, while I, I, I have done my procedure, you can see that we are exactly on the computer simulation and that the Chinese heart is also closed. So it's very predictable technique and very low risk surgery. If we are thinking about the post-operative period, I, I would like to say that the most powerful technique, the most important difference between the preservation techniques and the other techniques is that we, if you have a revision, the revision will be very easy after a preservation as it will be more difficult after the other techniques. And uh, my, my, my time of revision is about 23 minutes after a preservation, while it is generally more than two hours, sometimes four hours after other techniques. So for the same wow. result, even if we can say in a way that preservation is, could not be, give better results than the other techniques, but if you have 10% or 20% revision rate, this revision rate will be much, the, your patient will be much more uh, easy and happy after surgery because we don't need to perform any uh, harvesting of the rib. You will just need to reshape the nose again. So it's, it, mm. this is the big change and the big uh, advantage of the preservation uh, regarding the other techniques is that really it's very safe technique with good results even if it is not the best technique in all cases. So the step-by-step, step, I will be a bit, a bit quicker, otherwise you will spend all the night with me. So I uh, will talk mainly, about the, talk mainly about the dorsum. So there are different steps. So it, it, it can look a lot of steps, but in all techniques, if you are taking account of everything, you will have many steps, whatever the technique you are using. So these are different steps. I will not be too long. I would like just to say that if you want to perform a preservation, you need to separate the nose from everything. So you need to separate the nose from the septum, from the face, from the skull. Then once you have separated the nose from this septum, face, and skull, then you will be able to, make, to perform safely mobilization. And then you will go on with the lowering, alignment, harmonization, uh, all the other procedures. But remember, the, look at that. The, more, the first structural uh, surgical step is the, the separation from the septum. Because if you are starting with the osteotomies, separating lateral osteotomy, transverse osteotomy, and you start mobilization and you forget to separate from the septum, then you will really shake the septum, not only the cartilage of the septum, but also you will shake completely mm -hmm. the perpendicular mm -hmm. plate of the ethmoid, and then you, will be, you, you can have some troubles with the skull base. So just remember that one of the very important first steps will be to separate the bonicatus pyramid from the septum. And if you hear colleagues saying that they first do the osteotomy and they do the septum at the end, remember that it is pretty dangerous. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So separation from the soft tissues, this is anatomy because it is easier, just check the caudal edge of the, of the quadrangular cartilage the anterior septal angle. And if you pull a little bit more with a retractor, you will see what I call the W point. That is the junction between the upper lateral cartilages and the septum that is, gives it a W shape. 
-hmm. And um, in France, we call this point the plicanese. Plicanese in Latin means, plica means the fold, and nasi the nose. Fold, fold of the nose, so it corresponds to the, 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 this area of the, of the nose, the junction between the upper lats and the scroll area. Plicanese, interceptal angle, and W point. Then generally, I perform always a vertical incision. I never go laterally in, in, in an intercartilaginous. I never go intercartilaginous incision. I always stay vertical, following the caudal edge of the septum till the interceptal angle. So I, I really preserve completely the attachments of the upper lats to the other, or to the lower lats, and I don't touch at the lat lateral uh, scroll ligaments. Then, you, of course, you perform superchondrial undermining. You, you, you find you find on the dorsal line. This is the interceptal angle. This is uh, this is the W point, and this is sort of the, what I call the vasa segment between the W point and the interceptal angle. And this mm -hmm. this vasa segment should measure about 10, one centimeter, ten millimeters. Sometimes it is very short. It is one or two millimeter. In this in these cases, you need to cut to separate the the upper lats from the septum till you will have about one centimeter length. Otherwise, the bridge, the cartilaginous bridge, will stay too wide, and it will be almost mm -hmm. impossible to make it more narrow after at the end of the surgery. So you need to divide. And remember, the measurement of the vasa segment should be about eight to ten millimeter length. Mm -hmm. And then you will you will avoid a lot of widening of the middle third. And as you can see, once you have done that, you can see the the, um, the caudal edge of the upper lat that is arriving that here, creating this W point. And uh, so you, you can also remove this part of the of the end of the upper lat in order to uh, to make the supratip area and the um, cartilaginous vault a little bit more narrow if necessary. It, it does not have any impact on the function because you are completely preserving the the vote of the cartesian school. So this is W point. Then you perform your elevation. I go quickly now. And then the separation. I always start my separation. I perform, excuse me, I perform the, the undermining on the both sides. I'm creating a super autonome. And the height of my tumor it should be a little bit super, uh, more than, um, than the height of the reduction I plan because I need to free the, the cartilage uh, as high as I need. For example, if I need to lower uh, uh, three millimeter, I need to undermine four or five millimeters. Mm -hmm. But if I want to lower, like today, one centimeter, of course, I need to undermine at least uh, two, 12 millimeters. It makes at least two height of the of, of the of your elevator, two heights of the, the elevator. So this is the tunnel on the right and on the left, of course. And then you start cutting at the W point the, the junction between the upper lats and the, and the septum that is here in order to be able then to lower the, what is up. And after the surgery, at the end, you will decide what to do with the vasa segment. Because if you start with cutting here on the caudal edge, many times it ends up with a, a, saddling, a saddling of the middle third of the supratic area because this is really going down very easily. So please don't start here, start always at the W point, even if you have done previously a, a separation of the apparatus from the septum, just to make the length of the vasa segment about one centimeter. Then you can check with your elevator going from the right tunnel to the left tunnel once, once you have cut 
the, the, the septum. And then if you are being to, to, to pass your, uh, your elevator from the right side to the left side and, and, and from the left to the right, it means that you have completely separated the cartilaginous septum from the bone. Mm -hmm. And then you will have to separate from the perpendicular plate of the ethmoid many times because you, you need to free that. And I can tell you that this is really not dangerous. So this is the shape in anatomy of what we could have. So this is the caudal edge of the septum. This is the anterior angle. This is the W point. This is the vasa segment that is not untouched mm -hmm. at the moment. Mm -hmm. This is the rejection I have done under my cartilaginous and bony vault. And then I have created this space. And in this space, I will be able to lower the dorsum. And this is in surgery. In this lady, I removed the cartilaginous high strip and I, together with the perpendicular plate high strip. So it was a very uh, easy one. So you can use the, whatever the instruments you like and you can achieve this kind of resection. Generates about 25 millimeter lengths and about three to five millimeter height, a little bit triangular shape, and then you are, you are safe. But I, I can tell you that even if you remove completely the perpendicular plate under the bony vault, you will not end with you will not end up with a, a radix lowering or with a, a sudden sudden nose because the cartilaginous vault will be stable and because the septum cartilaginous septum will be stable and you have remember the lateral points that the, that are the uh, lateral uh, tendon uh, medial contal tendon attachment that is say the overlap between the bones laterally that are safe. So you will not end up with a radix deepening if you are not making some errors laterally in this area. Okay, so, so I, this a is, quick question yeah. that I have there is now when you've removed the septum, so if you are imagining that you, the septum sitting with the upper laterals on either side, how high up do you go onto? Because you surely have to leave some septum most superior to be able to still put a suture in to pull it back down. Yes. So yes. how much are you leaving of the septum underneath the dorsum, as it were? Yes, it is very important. Um, if you want really to be able to flatten the bony cartilaginous as well, if you transform it to con from convex to, 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 to straight or even curved, then you need to remove all the remnants of the septum, cartilaginous and bony septum, just below the bony cartilaginous vault. Otherwise, the fragments you have left here under the vault will uh, block this flattening uh, system. Uh, this is critical under the key area, except, mm -hmm. except if you are performing uh, like uh, Kovacevic or um, uh, Nevesh or uh, if you are separating the cartilage here completely from uh, the, the bony vault, then you, you, will, you will be able to, by pulling this cartilage downward anteriorly, you will be able to flatten. But generally, okay. if you want to perform a, a correct high strip technique, you, you need to clean very seriously everything that is underneath the bony cartilaginous vault. Otherwise, it, this will be a blocking point and you will not be able to achieve the result you are expecting. Okay. And to do that, I'm using this instrument that is uh, straight black SLA forceps that we use in endonasal surgery. 
it is, it is very uh, common uh, forceps and very easy to use. And then you can clear with uh, this, even if you don't see what you are doing, just insert this black SF forceps below the vault, then you use this like uh, uh, ranger, and with the left finger you are touching the external nose, and with the right hand you are removing the remnants, and it's very easy, safe, and very quick procedure. And then mm -hmm. you, you, you will keep uh, on, the, on your table the fragments of cartilage, because there always stays some cartilage fragments here, to, make, to, to use them if necessary to make some camouflage sometimes. Uh, don't, uh, it will be like a starting point of dice cartilage. So, this, so then you are, need to perform the lateral sotomies. They may, can be percutaneous. Be, be careful with the webster triangle. Or they can be also on the nasal. You know that very well. If you want to perform a letdown technique, I have done this afternoon two letdown techniques because I had to lower my patients more than eight millimeters lowering. Then I undermine uh, from endonasal, I undermine externally and internally the inner the, the lining, and then with my uh, bony uh, bone ranger, I remove the about five millimeter height of the bone, so start uh, like the starting point of my lateral osteotomies. So then transverse osteotomy. To speak frankly, it is so easy to make it percutaneously that okay, we can use whatever the saw or the piezo, whatever the instrument you want. But many times in the preservation rhinoplasty, in straight noses like these ones, you don't need to elevate the soft tissue. So if you do not elevate the soft tissue at all, I mean, you do not elevate soft tissue at all, not on the dorsum, not laterally, how will you perform the astotomies if you, if you, are not, if you want to preserve or mm. you cannot? Mm. So this is the power of the percutaneous astotomy. You can completely separate the nose from the face without elevating the soft tissues. But so, and the, uh, uh, another good reason to do that is even if you are performing the classic rhinoplasty techniques, then sometimes you have like a blocking effect here lateral, uh, at the level of the radix. And, and this blocking effect can be cut very easily but, but with using a two or three millimeter uh, osteotome percutaneously. Otherwise you will spend, uh, I don't say hours, but you'll spend a lot of time trying to to mm. make the correction of this uh, rocking, rocker effect at this area. So this is the radix osteotomy. And so at the end, you will have this kind of, uh, of osteotomy, lateral osteotomy, transverse osteotomy, and radix osteotomy on the top. Then you will be able to make mobilization, right, left. Very, it should be very easy to do. If, it's, if you have some resistance, just go back to the osteotomy and check what is blocking. And then you will be able to read, to move the nose in this way, from to the right, left, to the right side, to the left side. Don't, we never try, don't try to push directly the nose downward. Just remember that you will be able to push the nose once you have made complete mobilization and you have removed part of the septum below. If you are not doing that, then you will be, you can be in trouble with the perpendicular plate and it will block. So this was a, a patient this was before surgery, almost straight nose, and with and deviated, with maybe about 20 years old. I, I have done this recording when Roin Dalini was in Nice, it was in um, six years ago, uh, more than six years ago, I, I wanted to show him. And so I performed this. Uh, so the septum has been already done. 
Then I'm performing the osteotomies or the nasal lateral osteotomies. And then I will perform transverse and radix osteotomies. Transverse and radix osteotomies. I always uh, add some drops of adrenaline to reduce the bleeding, that because bleeding is always unpleasant for mm -hmm. everybody. Then you use this two millimeter or three millimeter osteotome in order to cut, to separate the bony pyramid from the, from the skull. And then you are really separating completely, going downward in the direction of the medial cantal ligament <clears throat> and going upward in the direction of the radix. And if necessary, then you can cut the radix and then it's done. You have completely separated and then you, you are able to move the nose right and left. And then you pinch a little bit downward and you can press and the nose will go, will go downward. So when you do that, you are narrowing the bony cartilaginous load because you are pinching a little bit. And this is the aspect after the osteotomies mm -hmm. and the septum. And if you remember, she had the deviated nose and wide nose uh, and straight on the profile. And this is at the end of the procedure, a very nice narrowing of the bones and straight nose. It, and uh, as you could see, the procedure was about 30 minutes. So it's a quick procedure. Of course, you need some experience. And this is the shape. So this was just to show. And this in deviated nose, for example, you can have this kind of uh, cone beam after the surgery, showing that you have an overlap laterally between the the stable uh, mm. frontal process and what, what you have cut, while on the other side, you don't have any deviated nose, I repeat, deviated nose, you make a tilt wow. on the side, and then you have performed the transverse osteotomies and radix osteotomy to, to perform the complete result. So again, this is how we perform that, and then you lower, this is intraoperatively the level I decided for this lady. This is this bump of the supratiparia corresponds to the vasa segment. This was my W point, and this was my uh, anterior septal angle. And then I will have to adapt. This is the endonasal view. This is my anterior septal angle, vasa segment. And using this Ofrischt elevator, I can put this Ofrischt elevator under just below. Uh, this is my septum, so I put my office in my septal access, and then I can pull, pull up. I pull up my bony cartilaginous pyramid, and under direct vision, I repeat, under direct vision, without headlight, without endoscope, you see the upper cut of your septum, and then you can adapt, cutting incrementally two or three millimeters till you are arriving to the correct level, and then you can under direct vision cut one, two, three millimeter, uh, like in many strips. This one is about 2.3 millimeter length and about 3 millimeter uh, height. And this is the aspect at this step. And then if you check, then look at that. You, you, I have removed about, uh, let's say, this step 5 millimeters height. But once I have done the, the osteotomies, look at that. This, the W point is again on my septum. So uh, come to answer your question. Then you can make a suture here, and then you have mm. fixed this the W point on the septum. So you have a new dorsum. This is the septum. This is your the anterior septal angle. This is your W point. You fix it here, and you have a complete natural septum, like untouched septum. So when you are making a revision, then what do you see? You see that you see like an untouched nose. It's very funny. And so if you want to lower, okay, you can decide whatever you need. But you can you are really in this way. And if you are a good surgeon, you have done a superior dissection. 
So going back to the setup is a very quick procedure, and then making this, it takes very few few minutes to do that. So you, you can really adapt. And for the, but this low suture at the level of the W point is not enough. We need to add mm. a higher a suture at higher point mm. to re, really start making the stabilization of the head of our dorsal. So this is the interoperative view using an endoscope to show. So there are the supertunnels. The first cut at the level of the W point, you can recognize the lower lateral, the upper lateral cartilages that are here. And oh, excuse me, so back. So this is this is the left tunnel. This is the right tunnel, superconvial. Then I start my my cut just at the level of the double point. Uh, this is my cartilaginous vote, and at a higher point, my bony vote, and I cut here, and I will follow, I will try to, to stay very high under my vote. You can see that I cut till I'm arriving at the level of the bones, and then I will use, this was a, a live surgery done in Istanbul a few years ago, probably three or four years ago, and then I, I had to remove my strip, my first strip, that was pretty big in this case, you know, in light surgery, so it's a little bit more stressful for the surgeon. So, but anyway, it worked well. So I was using this kind of scissors that we use Jerry for the, and you can see that how long and and uh, and um, hey, uh, high is this uh, fragment about five millimeters height and a little bit uh, uh, almost uh, three something And this is intraoperative the drawing of the lateral osteotomy and the entry point of the transverse and radiosteotomies is gone. Then if we want to, if really we want to curve the dorsum because many patients, ladies, are asking for curving the dorsum, then we have to do uh, some steps. Remember, you mm -hmm. have to undermine the mucoperiosum under the vault. You mm -hmm. have to remove the strut, the, rem the remnants of the septum below the vault, what I call the coat hunger effect, in order to be able to really to curve the, the dorsum, and then you want to. What do you want to do is to avoid that the the hump comes back like pop effect or spring effect, and to do that you will have to deal laterally with the piriform ligament or with mm -hmm. the lateral carrier in case of tension noses. In straight noses it is not necessary, but in tension noses it's necessary. So then you will have to adapt the middle third. Look at that. This is again the W. Point, then you will sometimes need to reject this uh, caudal edge of the upper lats in order to uh, reduce the volume of the uh, of the upper of the supratip area. Using, I generally I use converse scissors for that. This is intraoperatively. This is the vasa segment. I'm making sutures in this area between the upper lateral cartilages and the septum in order to have a new normal junction between the septum and the upper lateral cartilage. And then I will put another one at a higher point or crisscross on the bones uh, through an open approach, following the technique uh, that uh, Sebastian Ack and uh, Wolfgang Gubisch uh, presented, that is a very interesting technique, or uh, through the percutaneous uh, technique, uh, like, uh, for example, um, Dogan presented in, uh, in his techniques. So this is just to show again the anatomy. This is the resection of the high strip. We have cleaned below the wall. This is the, 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 the location, the, the former location of the W pump. 
Now the Bolu point went down in this point, and this is the Vasa segment, anti-settle uh, angle, W point, and then you will adapt the height of the segment according to the, the, the appearance of your middle third and the appearance of the supratip area. So this is, and in this case, I decided to make a very easy tip uh, rotation using the tongue and groove technique. So, are you tired? <laughs> no, Yves, it's, it's so interesting, but it kind of turns the whole thing upside down. I mean, I, I just think what have I done all these years, and I see this, and I see how fast and efficient the operations are. And, you know, the thing that amazes me doing these rhinoplasty podcasts, I just think like, Yes, you guys are good at what you're doing. What am I doing? I'm not doing rhinoplasty. I'm a kindergarten compared to what you guys are doing. So, no, it's, it's, it's so good because I think the guys who are in this and are very experienced are learning, but also the beginners can learn. So, no, th this is the important, very important slide, I think, is how do we actually decide about what to do? Who's the yeah. patient to, to actually make this yes. decision on? Yes, thank you very much. Yes, it is true that it is difficult to know because, as, as I said uh, in the introduction, we have we uh, nowadays we see so many techniques, so many uh, publications, so many presentations that again, again, we are a little bit lost in uh, mm. in the how to choose the best technique for our patients. So in France and also in South Africa, they, you know, you have to decide which kind of wine will be the best for. The, 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 the meal you have decided to eat. So if it is fish, you will use pretty white wine. If it is meat, you will choose a red wine. And if it is a very strong meat, you will choose a very strong wine. So in rhinoplasty, it is the same. Depending on the, the, the nose you have to deal with, you will have to choose in your toolbox the best technique. So I, I tried to make made it a little bit clear. So... In my in my in my in planning a patient when I'm visiting a patient, uh, one of the question the question I, I always ask myself is my the patient in front of me is he or she a good candidate for preservation? So and then you, what? So the the next question that is coming is this one. Okay, what can I preserve in this patient? If I, do I am, I, am I able to preserve the, the shape of the tip? Am I, am I able to preserve the middle third? Am I able to preserve the bony, the bony vault? And this will be one of the first uh, uh, decision uh, stage. So the, the second question is, is the tip surgery mandatory? Today, uh, this morning, I have done a rhinoplasty with endonasal rhinoplasty without any tip surgery because it was absolutely useless. So why to perform an open approach, degloving everything, if you have no tip surgery to perform? For sure, if you do it open, you will, you will be, you have, you have the temptation to perform sutures and modifications and so on. But patients many times love their tip. They just want to make the nose smaller. Mm. Uh, but mm. they don't want any tip surgery. And I will show you some patients without any tip surgery. So in these cases, we have to perform an endonasal approach. And mm -hmm. I don't want to say that we have always to perform an endonasal. But let's perform an endonasal if there is no tip surgery to perform. Then how is the septum? We, it, will the septum 
be require any septoplasty, yes or no? If it requires a septoplasty, will the septum be stable at the end or not? How is the piriform aperture? This is a critical evaluation. I think very few people are evaluating the piriform aperture. But when, once you are inserting your speculum in the nose and you open it, you have to see the distance between the, the infraturbinate and the, and the lateral wall to, of, to the septum. If you are, it's very narrow, for sure you will have uh, breathing issues and you will have to open your piriform aperture. But in very wide noses, like uh, African noses, for example, you don't need to worry about the piriform aperture because it's already mm -hmm. wide in most, in most cases. Then it's not the end because you have to evaluate the upper lip, you have to evaluate the chin, and you have to perform some upper lip procedure, you have to uh, perform any chin procedure intraoperatively or postoperatively. And this is during my first visit. Then generally I, I am asking my patient to perform a cone beam to check uh, if there are some, uh, we can have some deep problems, what, are, what, are, what is the thickness of the bones and so on. And then I perform my computer simulations and some measurements. I will be a little bit quicker on this part. So, as you have understood, the selection of the patient is really essential. And we have, I, and so I decided this is unilateral decision. It is my way of thinking to mm -hmm. make a classification in four types. The straight dorsum, because, and you will see that I have many straight patients, patients with straight dorsums, tension nose, kephotic nose, and the ones who are not straight, not tension, not kephotic, that I call difficult noses, where I cannot perform any preservation. So, so I, I, as I said before, I had done a, a previous study was, study was uh, on, uh, three, let's say, more than 300, uh, uh, 300 patients, and this one is also more than 300 patients, 352 exactly. And so I checked this. So it makes, taking uh, in account the first and the second study, it makes all, all included 372 patients, consecutive primary endoplasties with the same surgeon. That is interesting because it is always the same surgeon. In, in, in occurrence, it's me, but anyway. And so after that, we have taken the time during the last COVID period to make guidelines. With CD, mm -hmm. we have taken more than 1,000 hours of work, more than 1,000 hours of work, each of us, it makes 2,000 hours of work, to check all our patients, the photos before, the photos after, the surgical procedures, the revision, what happened, and so on. And so we could say that. And I would like to share that. With, with you. I, I, we publish that in facial plastic surgery because Rosika Osnevesh asked us to write something in, in, the, in this review where he was the guest editor, so we did that. And so we did this study. I will like to share a few results with you. <clears throat> so we decided to, dis, to make this classification on profiles, straight, tension nose, kephotic, or difficult. And the surgical procedure in preservation or in primary rhinoplasty, like full preservation procedure without any undermining, or preservation procedure procedure plus plus ratio facing of the monocartilaginous wall, or just cartilage preservation because we cannot preserve, for example, the bones, or traditional rhinoplasty because in some cases we have to switch uh, or to decide uh, to perform traditional rhinoplasty. So the question we asked to ourselves was this one. 
what is the correspondence between mm -hmm. the nasal profiles mm -hmm. and the surgical procedures. Can we make a classification? And what are the results if we are performing, for example, a cartilage only preservation in straight nose? What is happening if we are performing a full preservation in kephotic noses? And this mm -hmm. is the, the work we have done. And I'm very happy to share that with you. And so it, my analysis is this one. I check the radix that is very thick bone, the keystone that is overlap between uh, uh, nasal bones and uh, septum, and the palatal cartilages, so it is bone cartilaginous, and the supratip that is strictly cartilaginous. And we, I will not talk about the tip today. So we have straight noses, tension noses, humpy dorsum, and difficult noses. So if I like the dorsum, this is a straight nose, straight sometimes, there is a small hump or a little bit convexity, it's a tension nose. You sometimes have a big convex, bony convexity, it is kephotic nose, and others are the other ones. And so we have seen that we have different types of preservation, full preservation, preservation plus resurfacing, or cartilage-only preservation, and traditional procedures. So, which are the main preservation procedures? I will just have this slide for that. You can keep that beside yourself. And so, from high strip, we have, without dorsal articulation, Gola, Sabon, Kovacevic. With dorsal cartilaginous articulation, partial lateral dorsal Ishida. With total articulation, I published already in 2012 this technique, and Ferreira published Sparrow in 16. While the technique coming from Cottle, without dorsal disarticulation, uh, original Cottle, Spar from Deves, Finocchi and Tetris from Deves, but with total disarticulation, was the first publication for Jorge Ishida uh, before the end of the uh, 19th, uh, 20th century, and Jankowski mm -hmm. more recently. So, so how to decide? So I did the comparison between my two studies, making at, in, in, uh, at the end six, uh, 672 consecutive primary rhinoplasty during this study that were, that were my personal mm -hmm. cases. I can tell you that I did an objective study without any kind of kindness toward my technique. So in all the technique, I had at least one year follow-up and uh, so, and, and, and I check my revisions and look at that. It is interesting. My my first paper, former paper, I had only three point fifty. I said, "Oh, I'm very strong surgeon." So <laughs> uh, after and I, my second study, I, I, I did my uh, during the second study, I found almost ten percent revision. So something happened between the first and the second. And what happened is I, I, I commit the sin of pride. I said to myself, "Oh, wow. I'm very good. Now I can switch some steps." So I don't need to follow all the steps. I will just adapt the technique. And I was wrong because my revision rate jumped hmm. from uh, from 3.50 to almost 10%. And this is interesting because it's what I said. Even if you are experienced surgeon, even, even if you are an expert in rhinopathy, forget, don't forget, follow the steps. It's, very, it's critical in being safe. But not only the step, but also choosing the patient. This is interesting. Looking at that, look at that, dorsum shape. I had straight noses, tension noses, humpy, and challenging. How many straight noses out of 
352, 129 straight noses. Uh, it means that one third of my patients do not have any hump, no tension, nothing. They had high nose, but straight. And they wanted a nicer nose, but smaller. So in mm. this case, it means that in straight noses, if you remove the dorsum, like in the classic techniques, you are removing a straight dorsum. Is it, is it uh, fair to the patient to remove a straight dorsum in these cases? I think no. But anyway, what I did in these straight noses, 88 cases, full preservation without any elevations of the soft tissues. In some cases, because of some angles and something, I decided to make rasping, of the, to make resurfacing. And in some cases, hybrid or even resection because the nose would to be a little bit too big. Tension noses. Now, let's see the second category. Tension noses. How many? A little bit, let's say, 70, 70 out of 350. It makes many patients. So, more in, in, almost, and what did I perform? Almost the same number of full preservation and preservation plus resurfacing. And we will see what happened with the results. So, we can see about 45%. In humpy noses, I performed a little bit, let's say almost all the techniques, full preservation, rasp, resurfacing, cartilage preservation or resection. And in challenging te techniques, challenging patients, I decided in some cases to perform uh, preservation plus resurfacing or hybrid. And it's interesting, we will see what happened in all these cases now. I would like to share with you. So in straight nose, uh, come, I, I, can I go on or is, do you want yes, to? Yes, yes. Yeah, let's, let's carry your finishes. It's good. Okay. okay, thank you. So, straight nose. I told you one third of my patients, straight dorsum. Full preservation in straight dorsum, three point, let's say, four percent revision rate. You, you will say, okay, it, it looks a little bit too big, but because it's, it's too much. Yes and no. Because remember, some patients that have not only straight, but very big noses, I mean, sometimes I had to remove uh, almost two centimeters height of these, uh, mm. of these noses to make the nose smaller. So in this case, sometimes it is impossible to make this in one step. Anyway, so straight noses, full preservation, 3% revision. Tension noses, if I perform pre-shaping, preservation plus Pre-surfacing, one per one point for forty percent. I say, okay, this is pretty good. Kefortic noses. If I perform hybrid technique, I have also close to two percent revision. But what is interesting is this: if in mm. these cases tension nose, if I perform a full preservation, then my rate of revision is jumping from let's say two percent to eight percent four times. In in kefortic noses, humpy noses, if you prefer. If I perform a hybrid, if I perform a hybrid technique, then I have two percent revision. But if I perform just full preservation or hump reshaping, it, it jumps for four times at least. It means that uh, it's it's not good. And in difficult noses, if I say okay, I will perform a preservation technique in these cases, I have almost twenty-five percent revisions. What does it mm. mean? It means that in difficult noses, don't perform any, try, don't try to perform any preservation because we will mm. make revision in one out of four patients. It's really too much. And that's and in somebody's hands who's been doing this for so many years. So that's not even in the beginner's hands. Sure. This is my, in, in my hands. 
probably in beginners it's worse. So, but when I listen of my friends say, okay, if I'm doing, for example, always pre, uh, uh, always hybrid technique. If I'm performing hybrid technique, I didn't do that in, in straight noses or tension noses. But if you are performing hybrid technique in all kinds of noses, okay, okay, when it is a good indication, you will have a good result. But if you are not doing that in good indication, you will have revisions because you will, are, you will be uh, too aggressive for a nose that does not need to perform this technique. So just think about the risk, the benefit risk ratio. This ratio is critical. Don't make, don't overdo, don't overdo, uh, overperform a technique when it is not necessary. Mm -hmm. So, just I would like just to show again this straight nose, the best. So, let's say that in conclusion. So, in straight nose, on block full dorsal preservation with no elevation of soft tissue is for sure the best technique. In tension nose, resurfacing is uh, in my hands better that can be you can use whatever the instrument you like rhino sculpture with piezo or uh, the scalpel or whatever you like but and in kephotic noses the hybrid technique is for sure the best technique and in the other noses just go back to the other technique that are give excellent techniques but what, what i would like to go back to here because many times I, I can read in, in, the, in the papers, okay, I have done 40 patients, 40 patients using this technique, let's say, hankry shaping. Okay, you have done that, excellent. But if you, if you, you pay, and I have had two revisions, okay, good. It means that you have too many, it's too much. Because if you have two revisions out of 40 patients, it means that you are much more uh, revision than you, if, you if you had done the appropriate technique. So mm -hmm. just remember mm -hmm. that. Even if you, let's say you have done 10 patients, you have one revision, okay, you can say it's a very good technique. No, because what we want to get is not what one out of 10, it's one out of 100. And then you will have more revisions if you are always performing the same technique. And the main message, the message of this table is that if you are always performing the same technique, you, the rate of revision will be bigger then, if you are adapting the appropriate technique to the to the to the to the, to the nose, so just select make the selection. So you need to know at least a few techniques that will be allow you to get uh, the best results and the mm -hmm. less the less rate of uh, revisions. Now, if we look at the the uh, how the septoplasty is creating uh, can create some issues in the in the primary endoplasty procedure. As you know, we go always from the depth to surface. So we always start with the septoplasty, like the first step, and then we move to uh, the rhinoplasty procedure. And then what we will perform on the rhinoplasty will depend on the septum stability. If the septum is very stable, or if you have no septoplasty, then of course you can perform exactly what I said before. But if you have performed the septopathy and your septum is completely unstable, you will not cut, you, you will not make a high strip technique. Otherwise, you will have no more septum below your, your cartilaginous vault. And then you will be in trouble. So you have to perform all the cotton technique or you will have to perform a traditional technique. And moreover, if you have to perform a total septal reposition in very difficult septum, 
then you will have to, of course, to adapt the technique. So remember that the septum stability is an important uh, uh, eva uh, criterion of evaluation of what we will do on the dorsum after the surgery. Look at this young lady. She's 15 years old, coming with her parents, saying that, oh, uh, her parents were ring a lot because she, she didn't want to go out of, uh, of the house uh, since she is a teenager. So she's, she, the growth, uh, with the growth, she, has a very, she had a very nice nose when she was, she was a child. And then with puberty, uh, she got this kind of nose. And the parents came to me saying, okay, doctor, can we do something without risking anything on, my, on our daughters? And I told them, okay, we can do a, a preservation. This was the simulation because in preservation, you do not, you do not make any damage to, this, to the growth of, of the septum, the, grow, the growing area, and you are not making any issues with the nose. And anyway, even if we are we were doing something, some, something, if making the nose will stop the, 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 growing, the growth of the nose, it's good because uh, if the nose is going on growing, it's not nice. So anyway, in, so in, in teenagers, 15 years old, this was a pre-op photo simulation, pre-op photo, post-op photo, pre-op profile, post-op profile. So the post-op is exactly what we plan to perform. And this is not a simulation. This is not uh, uh, a tricky, I want a change result. This is the true result of this patient. I saw her, uh, I will add this photo four years after now, and she's exactly, she has exactly the same nose, the same face, except that she's adult now, and she has red hair, and she changed her face. But anyway, uh, in front view, what do we see? She's exactly the same young lady, but what changed is a little bit widening, flaring of the nostrils, because when you are deprojecting a little bit the tip, what is happening, the, the nostrils are flaring a little bit. Ladies and gents, unfortunately, this is where the podcast is going to have to end. I really apologize about that. But we had a technical problem right at the end, and hence we've only been up, able to upload a certain part of it. So I really hope that you'll enjoy this um, and come back again next week for some more exciting rhinoplasty podcast. 